the biggest challenge is still always the same challenge as it was before. That hasn't changed, in my opinion. And that's the business owner themselves. And I think that's of all of us and even in life, right? If you want to worry about something, you know, worry about what somebody is doing as a competitor or something else, don't do that. Look in the mirror, worry about what that guy's doing because that's the guy that's going to either make you or break you, right? And so that is still the challenge, right? It's no secret that the coronavirus is affecting all of us as individuals. But the effect it's having on business, especially small business, is unprecedented. If we're going to survive this, we need resources and we need each other. We can't do it alone. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. With my background in economic and workforce development, disaster preparedness, and general business strategy, I know I can help you navigate this scary time in your business and beyond. It's all about resiliency. We'll have invited experts to help us navigate through the current noisy landscape of resources and programs that are being made available today and who will be able to prepare us for tomorrow. Let's do this together. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. Hi, and welcome back to Hack My Business. This is Jesse Torres, creator and host of Hack My Business, back with you all once again to talk about the great, wonderful, wide world of entrepreneurship. Today, I am joined by Tim Holtkamp, who is a small business advisor with the Small Business Development Center out of McClellan, which represents our services Central Texas. And I'm really excited to be talking with Tim today. Tim, this is the first time that we've had an SBDC advisor on the show. We're going to be digging in with you all things business advising and what it means to be providing support in that kind of way to entrepreneurs. But just really delighted to have you on. I had a chance to meet Tim at the National Small Business Development Center conference a couple weeks ago where he was in our session around podcasting. And so just really thrilled to be joined by Tim. Tim, welcome to Hack My Business. Yeah, Jesse, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And yeah, I feel honored that I'm the uh, first SBDC person you've had on here. So I kind of broke that, I don't know what you call it, dirt ceiling or what. I don't know what, but whatever that ceiling is, I'm glad to be a pioneer on your part. Definitely. I like that dirt. It's like not highfalutin as the glass, I guess, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Glass is too fancy for us. Well, it's great to have you on. Good to see you again. You know, I always like to start my conversations with getting an insider look into, you know, my guest's own path, you know, so really curious about what was the path that led you to become a small business development center advisor i don't know what we'll back up as far as what got me there i've been an entrepreneur for quite a while most of my life i guess i started off you know bought my first piece of real estate rental property when i was in high school became the youngest real estate inspector in the state of texas at the time and then shortly after that me and my wife bought a daycare center ran that for a number of years there's probably not some way to operate a business or start a business or anything that i I haven't looked at or tried or partnered with somebody. So now I will say I began to coalesce around mostly in my career, residential real estate related businesses. Kind of my main Hmm. vocation was a mortgage company that owned and operated for about 15 years. Also, you know, clearly done, you know, built some houses and did some house flipping and that kind of stuff. Partnered with a guy down in Houston with a construction company just prior to coming on here. Also had a real estate periodical. There's various ones. This was a different brand, but like the real estate book that you see like sure. at the grocery store, that was not the one that I had, but similar to that. It's probably the most prominent one nationwide. And so anyway, just a varied entrepreneurial background. Probably didn't have a W-2 for 15 years before I had mm-hmm. taken this position here. I guess what happened was how I actually got to the SBDC. It's kind of interesting. You know, the mortgage business was great to me. I did extremely well. 
And then the meltdown in about 08 came around. And even though we were still doing okay, I had a number of the folks, several loan officers and that sort of thing, that over time, technology had taken them out of the office. And in fact, a few years before that, I was just sitting in this big office all by myself. And I was like, why am I here in this thing all by myself and paying all this lease space? Because the folks I did have working for me were all working remote. So the industry kind of took advantage of that a little sooner than maybe the rest of the country. And then after the 08 meltdown of the mortgage industry, a number of those guys went on to do other things. So just found myself doing my own originations for the most part. And then even kind of slowed down on that. And I know retiring probably wouldn't be the best word, but it's probably pretty close to it. It took a lot more personal time and spent less time working on making money and getting things going. And so that was kind of where I was at. A friend of mine in around 2012 or so said, hey, man, there's this position that I see that you'd be perfect for. And I was like, well, I'm not looking for a job. I mean, everything's going pretty good. And so we'll look at it because I just think you'd enjoy it. Okay, so that went by for a while, a month or two later, I looked at the position and I was like, hey, this does sound interesting. It was a business advisor for the Small Business Development Center. And so I called up the director, he's the same guy that's my director now, and I said, hey, yeah, can you tell me a little bit about this position? He's like, well, you know, we work for a college and there's a system. And so if you fill out an application and all of that, then I can tell you about the job. So I was like, yeah, okay. So filled out the application because I was just interested in knowing about it. So I filled out the application and turned it in. And then I guess a little bit of time went by and I called him back up and said, Hey, you know, turn in an application. Can you tell me about it? He's like, well, you know, we need to interview you anyway. And so you can just ask whatever questions you want to in the interview. So, well, you just do it that way. I was like, well, okay. All right, let me do that. So we did, you know, they were asked questions of me. I asked, you know, typical job interview. Then after that, you know, they just offered me the job and I was like, well, you guys kind of slid this in on me without me really knowing what happened. But it's been wonderful. I've been very, very pleased. It's been quite rewarding. But yeah, that's kind of how I got here. Yeah, I love it. You know, it's always so interesting. As you know, I used to operate a network of small business development centers and how people find their way to the program is always so interesting to me, especially, you know, coaxing people from the corporate world, right, or even the entrepreneurship world. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. What do you do, you know, for the SBDC? You know, how do you support small businesses? What does that look like? Yeah, so it is extremely varied. Okay. And it's very customized for the individual. See, that's the great thing about one-on-one counseling or advising is that you can customize that product because let's face it, there's no information that I don't know or that anybody doesn't know that's out there on the internet somewhere, right? If you can find Mm -hmm. it, but it's not set in a format by which is direct for what you need and what you want. And there's no feedback when you're watching a YouTube video. I mean, you have to sit through, you know, 20 minutes or something that you already knew about or didn't care about or didn't pertain to you exactly just to get to the couple minutes that you really wanted to know. And so that's the value of having an advisor and particularly somebody that has some experience. And so we can take them from wherever they're at to where they want to be and advise along the way. So most of my clients are broke up into a couple of different categories. People who want to start a business, which is there's more of a number of people there that I interact with. And then the other ones are ones that already have an existing business that are either looking to acquire some financing to expand or to refinance or just multitude of reasons. Everybody's got trouble attracting employees right now, right? So, Mm -hmm. or whatever the circumstances may be. And so that's where I spend more of my time, but there's less of those people. 
right? You know, somebody just thinking about starting a business that may or may not actually do it. An hour or two session can, you know, take care of them and, you know, they may or may not even come back. And it's funny because I've been here about 10 years and they will come in, do that. I won't hear anything from them a few years later. Now they're ready to do this idea or they come with a different idea or they kind of tried that, but didn't pay attention or didn't do some of the things that I said and some of the things that I told them would happen if they didn't happened. And so they come back mm-hmm. going, hey, got this other idea now. And, you know, if I listen to you, that other one might have been a little better, but you know, yeah. now I'm back. So can you tell me again what you said? It's like, well, OK. And so, yeah, just kind of helping them with those things. I mean, we do help people with marketing plans, marketing tips, help people with financing, you know, getting themselves together for that. We help people with acquiring businesses. We're probably been doing a lot more of that, I would say, in the last five years than I did in the first five years. And then also helping people get prepared to sell a business. You know, it's not that uncommon that somebody wants to sell this business. They have an idea of what it's worth and that may not be accurate or they may have been taking some tax deductions that might not have been you know, appropriate. And, you know, that kind of collapses the cost because probably the number one factor is in the value of your business is what your free cash flow is after you pay all your expenses, right? So, and if you're throwing a bunch of expenses in there, even though they may be legit legitimate. There may not be. So for instance, got a great example. A friend of mine has a business and he pays his dad to come up there and work. And it's, you know, essentially it's a way of subsidizing the dad's retirement income. Let's face it. That business would not have to have dad there, you know, straightening up, putting the trash out, that kind of thing. But, you know, it's a legitimate expense. He's legitimately there. But if I was going to acquire that business from him, I wouldn't need dad. And they don't think about those things when they get ready to sell one. So we spend a lot of time with that kind of stuff as well. And legacy planning. How do we hand this thing off to the next generation if they want it? And what needs to be done to do that? How do we cash some out? And it's not unusual that an entrepreneur have, you know, everything that they own tied up in this business. Like that's most of their net worth. And so, yeah, you want to pass on the next generation, but you need to live and eat in retirement, right? So, you know, how do we get that structured so that, you know, that can take place and you can make it as smooth on them and then you can get the cash flow out that you need in order to to retire basically I mean, even in your response, you can tell the breadth of the work, right? From everything from marketing, right, to financial planning, to business transition. For our listeners who may not be familiar with the Small Business Development Center Network, I mean, that is the strength of the program, the ability for the advisor to really truly advise on a number of different topics. In a previous life, after my stint with the SBDC, I was the small business advocate for California. And one of the best things about my job was that I had an opportunity to go around to the different parts of the state and get to know the small business community there. And, you know, California, you know, a giant place and every community was so different. And so I have family that lives in Texas. I have family in Houston and El Paso. And I still feel like I don't even have a great sense of the entire state of Texas. But would love to learn more about your community. What is your small business community all about there in central Texas? What would I find if I went and visited well, I mean, quite a bit of diversity in our particular regional service center, because, you know, every inch of the country is covered by a SBDC regional service center. Okay. Our particular one from one end of it to the other, we basically cover everything from Fort Worth down the 35 corridor to Austin. So it's about 160 miles from one end of it to the other. Okay, and so it's a pretty good size territory, at least geographically. 
there's three kind of major community hubs within it. So one is kind of the Johnson County, which is just south of Fort Worth, which literally where there's one town called Burleson there that, and another town on the other side of the county line called Crowley, and you would not know. You know, mm-hmm. the line goes through a subdivision, you know, in, in yeah. some places. So, I mean, it's like you literally don't know where it starts and stops. And they're sitting right on 35. So it's very much a suburban environment. I mean, literally, it is a suburban environment. So, you know, we have that kind of an influence. And then as you go out in that county and then down to like Hill County, where Hillsboro is the largest town of maybe 10, 20,000, I may be off a little bit, but nonetheless, a very small town and by far the largest town in that county, right? And then Bosque County is the same thing and very rural, very agricultural, you know, and those sort of things that interact with that. Then you kind of the center of our district is McLennan County, and that is basically Waco with a number of suburbs around Waco. Waco is the dominant city within that county, right? And so it very much, you know, we have a mix. It's a town of around Waco itself proper is probably 130 or 40, something like that. I haven't seen the last census numbers. And we're looking at about 200 something thousand in the county, right? So not really big, but certainly not small. Okay. Hmm. We have a number of things here. We have Baylor University, you know, major D1 university. They got close a couple of times. They're making the football playoffs. We've had some national championship girls basketball teams. If I'm not mistaken, I think we're reigning national champion basketball right now. But anyway, so, you know, you have that big focus there, kind of a college town. We also have recently started a pretty much a tourism industry in that mm. there was a show on HGTV called Fixer Upper, and it was based here in Waco. And then they transitioned that over a period of years into an actual network. What used to be the DIY network, it's a discovery subsidiary, is now the Magnolia Network. And that happened recently. Mm. They have a large, they call it Magnolia Market, and they sell some wares and various things that's right there. They have a restaurant that's down. They have a little coffee shop as well and a lot of other things going on. So it brings about 2 million, give or take, into Waco a year. And then, you know, Baylor probably brings around 600,000, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, but still GDP is is still pretty well mixed. It's about 20% of our GDP for the county aerospace. We've got an aerospace industry here and then government, of course, you know, the colleges and education, that sort of thing, big chunk of it. So it's fairly diverse here in Waco. Then you start heading down south of here to our Temple Belt and Killeen area, which is, you know, it's Bell County, which is a completely different sort of demographic, right? We have the largest actual military base as far as geographic size in the continental United States, Fort Hood down there army base. Mm. There's two or three of these divisions. Typically a base has one, or, and I may be using the terminology completely wrong, but anyway, very large place, very much army and government focused, right? So people down there want to contract with the government, right? Because I mean, it's a big game in town. How do I do that? How do I get my 8A certification? How do we do these sort of things, right? And then that'll bring itself around. Belton, who's probably the smallest of those three towns, is the county seat. Mm. And then Temple kind of has its own sort of thing, a big medical industry. Baylor Scott and White system, which is pretty good size in Texas. They have a large hospital there, some bioscience developments going on there, that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you know, lots of things that kind of support those things. So when you start looking at all these things, it's an extremely diverse group. It's not like we're all rural. No, we got a lot of rural. We got some things that are really very urban in a lot of ways. Lots of suburban, different 
kind of phases of suburban, large, you know, metroplex, you know, metropolitan area suburban, and then also kind of a smaller suburban around a small town. A lot of opportunities for a lot of diverse types of businesses, a lot of opportunities to approach the idea of a small business in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's pretty exciting to work in an environment it's like really this, cool. where it's not the same thing all the time, right? I mean, you know, yeah. worry about one guy that has a restaurant in like a town of 100, right? I mean, the things we work about, we're talking about for marketing there are not the same things as someone that's sitting, you know, right next to Magnolia, for instance, doing a restaurant. Right. It's really nice and challenging and it's rewarding to help these folks kind of navigate their way through it. Yeah, I mean, the diversity is really astounding. I didn't realize that, especially the interesting element around, you know, film, television, production, right? Something being yeah. dropped in, right? And how that kind of spills over. I mean, we obviously have that quite a bit here in LA. You can see yeah. just like the world that gets created around the entertainment industry that people don't really see, you know, the production elements and all that. Given the breadth and the diversity of the people that are likely to come to you, then, you know, that becomes like my next question, which is around how do you then build an effective advisor relationship with the business, knowing that they can come from all types of different fields, different backgrounds. What makes an effective relationship where you may not be the expert in their field? You know, you may not be the person that understands everything about how to do department defense contracting, right? How do you establish that kind of effective relationship? Well, certainly you lean on other partners, right? And other mm-hmm. things. So we have PTAC that services our area out of the Dallas Fort Worth area. And so for the government contracting that gets a little more intense, you know, we can partner with those folks. And so also leaning on other people that have a variety of experiences and that sort of thing. But having said that, though, to a large degree, there's certain specialities and those sort of things. But generally speaking, the business side is where people need help. Right. So I always say nobody opens a restaurant because they love to count hamburger patties and keep track of the money. Right. I mean, that's not why, you know, I mean, I really love accounting. Let's open a restaurant, honey. No. It's, I want to make food. I want to present food. I want people to tell me that my food's great. I mean, that's why you're there. The accounting piece is just something that has to be done to, you know, settle up with Uncle Sam and to, you know, just track my effectiveness of my product, selling a product that's actually going to make us some money and that sort of thing, right? So that accounting issue or challenge is universal. Right. The same guy that's looking to do a government contract it has the same sort of accounting concerns and tracking concerns. Right. Hey, if I'm going to make this bid, I need to make sure that it's profitable. Just like if I'm going to make this hamburger, I need to make sure it's profitable. The fundamentals are the same. You know, the mm-hmm. application is what is different. So having a good, strong basis on the fundamentals of business. And I think that's one of the things that helps me having had such a wide variety of different businesses that I've, you know, from a daycare center to run a mortgage company, construction construction company, a periodical, right? I mean, some, there was a lot of little differences, but the fundamentals were the same. I needed to market it. I needed to manage employees and manage the business. I needed to keep track of my numbers and I needed to keep track of the key things, right? So you know, one of the big things that I tell people is get you a board somewhere like this whiteboard behind me and figure out what mm-hmm. your unit is, right? So for like a restaurant, it's going to be the average ticket, right? And so you figure mm-hmm. out what that is. And then you start off with how much am I going to need to make in order for this venture to be successful? Now I'm not talking about, oh yeah, you know, I want to be a millionaire and I need to do this. And I'm not talking about this thing didn't actually have to make any money because, you know, my wife's got a good job. I was like, well, I don't know how long you're going to have that wife if that's your attitude. But anyway, <laughs> you know, we need to come up with kind of, you know, if you're not making at least this, I probably need to find another thing to do, right? So set mm-hmm. up with that, right? Then we take that and then we divide that by in a restaurant's case it would be an average ticket. 
right? And then I had somebody in the other day where you know, I had a private investigator. His was billable hours. Hmm. Everything was based around that. So how many billable hours do you need to do? So whatever that unit is, so I call it a unit. Mm-hmm. Figure out how many units do I need to do this week? Certainly restaurants run on a week-to-week cycle. He could probably have gotten away once things get going, but he was just getting kicked off with a month-to-month cycle, but a week-to-week made a lot more sense. And you just put it up there and you go, okay, here I need to do 20 units a week, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the week, you put it, I did 10 units, okay? So pretty easy to see. We're not moving towards our goal with these kind of numbers. So how do I fix that this week, right? How do I sell more hamburgers? How do I build more units, right? And so now maybe I did 30 this time. Okay, great. I made up for it. Now I'm tracking even. Okay. And then, you know, maybe over a period of time, I kind of have a bank there of, you know, I'm way ahead of my goal. You know, now I can go to my grandkids football game, you know, but if I'm running 30 units behind, maybe I don't need to do that. Maybe I need to be sending that effort to there to keep things going and keep get to where we need to get. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's like a crucial part of the work is like really kind of focusing in, helping a business owner focus in on the fundamentals, right? I mean, they may think that the, how they're running their business is so different from anybody else, but at core, there's like essential processes, right? There's certain things that are relevant to any type of business and helping them understand those principles like breaking it down to a single kind of unit, right? So they really understand what's happening. I think it's really important. And that's the power of the SBDC is the ability to kind of work with anybody that walks in the door and give them some great advice. I'm curious, you know, because I'm sure you've worked with, you know, hundreds, not thousands of business owners, you know, over your career now. But what has been your proudest moment when you look back, you know, what has been your proudest achievement? You know, there's been just a ton of rewarding moments, right? I mean, you help somebody that didn't have a clue and you hold their hand all the way through the starting of a business and, you know, getting it off. That's great. That's rewarding. That feels wonderful. And then you help a guy out of a really bad time, even if he's been around for 20 years. And then you come back and you see him, you know, a year later and he's like, man, I just wouldn't be here without you. I mean, that's great, right? So it's hard to say. And I don't know if it's my proudest per se, but probably the thing that really stands out is during the pandemic helping people through that process. I mean, everyone was incredibly scared. You know, the government said you can't work in a lot of cases, right? I had a ton of salon owners and independent. It's like, you just cannot legally do what you have been doing to make a living. So it's got to be a restaurant owner, same thing, right? And so helping them navigate the process of some of the disaster relief funds and that sort of thing was great. Now, it was extremely taxing. I mean, I was working from six in the morning to nine at night, and then people were still calling me, you know, after that a lot of times that had my cell phone, right? Because I don't hide that. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. that time I kind of wish I was, I could get some sleep. But, you know, this is a critical time. It's not going to last forever. To be honest with you, I don't think I really did anything for them as far as telling the same stuff they already kind of knew. But the power Mm -hmm. is being able to reassure them that this isn't going to last forever. You are going to be able to access some funds that will help you, and you need to, you know, just figure out how we're going to get through, you know, this next week, and then figure out how you can get through that next week, you know, and after a while, maybe we can get back to the way things were before. And so that was probably my, you know, probably most memorable situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just a tremendous amount of work. You know, big kudos to you and to the team. It was a very, really challenging period. And you know, for folks that you know who may have never used an SBDC before, again. It's a free resource. You get free one-on-one advising. And sometimes you're right, man. Sometimes it's the voice in the dark that's just helping you stay motivated, stay focused, and just a shoulder to kind of lean on when you need it. So, and sometimes 
mostly like you just want to do is just have a good conversation with somebody who's been there, done that, and can reassure you. You know, flash forward, we're kind of in this weird, let's be nice and say it's post-pandemic at this point. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing small businesses today? What are people coming to you for advice for right now? The biggest challenge is still always the same challenge as it was before. That hasn't changed, in my opinion. And that's the business owner themselves. And I think that's of all of us and even in life, right? If you want to worry about something, you know, worry about what somebody is doing in a competitor or something else, don't do that. Look in the mirror, worry about what that guy's doing, because that's the guy that's going to either make you or break you, right? And so that is still the challenge, right? Them applying the things that they need to do. I don't even think knowledge is the challenge at this point because it's everywhere now, right? So it's not like you can't go to a score website, our website, you probably have a website. I mean, everybody's got here, do these steps, whatever, but the ability to actually apply those things. You know, just pick one. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to do that. I mean, first of all, you're not going to pick the perfect business plan. You're not going to pick the perfect execution of any business. You're going to look back on that thing. It's kind of like building a house, right? The minute you feel, I don't know if you've ever built a brand new house, right, for yourself. No. The minute that you finish it, actually, before you get it finished, you're like, dang, I wish we'd have done this. I wish that had been a little bigger. It's the same thing that's going to happen in a business, man. So if you can get over that and just pick a plan and execute it, and too often that's where they fall short as far as just, you know, they bounce around to multiple plans. They're trying to find this perfect situation or a better one or something instead of just working the grind, you know, plan your work mm. and work your plan. I mean, the old adage. That's what I think is the biggest obstacle at all times and still is, right? But now, some unique things that are facing us that haven't faced us before, right? So, used to, it was, I need skilled help. I need good help, right? You could get help, but mm. you can't get good help. Now, it's, I just need warm bodies. So, dealing with that, and do you just need warm bodies? Is that really good? It would be better to just be shorthanded, mm. you know, transitioning those decisions. Right. And then how do I get this person that is just a warm body and quickly get them up to where they can provide some value to my organization? How can I do that without spending a ton of time and energy and effort? Right. And then how can I pick that person and how can that work in my system? So that's somewhat unique. Before, we were always just looking for, you know, somebody and, you know, a good person. You could get them. They'd already be trained by generally a larger company like the restaurant business. You can get somebody to work for Papa's. I don't know if you guys have the Papa's brands there, but they have a number of you know, genres of food, but they're renowned for, you know, having quality help, right? So you always want to steal people from, you know, Papa Do's, Papa Cita's. And so, well, now, you know, you've got to kind of take more of a hands-on approach to that. And then the other thing is supply chain issues, right? And so just how are you going to navigate that and having a plan for that? So in the restaurant business, okay? So in fact, we talked about it on my podcast with you. Yeah. We interviewed you. It's like, you know, okay, so all I can get, you know, normal French fries. And now all I can get is waffle fries. That's my only option. Suppliers like, hey, waffle fries is all we got. You want fries or not, you know? And yeah. so how do you handle that with your customer base? How do you handle that with your staff, right? And that's not unique to just a restaurant. It's a nice kind of easy one that everybody kind of understands because we all eat waffle fries and regular fries, yeah. right? But it's in every industry, you know, those sort of think, how do I find another, you know, product that can make up for the one I can't get? How do I make my customers okay with that? Mm. How do I explain that? How does that now? So those are some challenges that you didn't have to deal with before. You know, you got the same fry, it was the same fry, it was always the same fry, you know. Now, you know, those supply chain issues are there. And then customer expectations, their ability to tolerate things like that has increased, which I think is good. Okay. On the flip side, their demand for a value 
given mm. the economic situation with the inflation and a few other things going on, has really squeezed you because you still need to make some money and pay your employees a decent wage and, you know, and then still provide value to the customer. How do we do that? in whatever it is that we're doing. I mean, that to me is probably the number one thing that a business owner in this environment should be thinking about. How can I increase the value without, you know, increasing the cost, right? I mean, that's the deal. What can I do that would, you know, give perceived greater value without, you know, substantially increasing the cost of my product? How does that work? And then how do I cut out that waste in my product? Things that maybe I was throwing on there, you know? Green beans. Do we need green beans on the menu if nobody ever eats them, if we're always just throwing them in the trash, you know? Or how do we do that? Can we take our menu and split it out for a la carte items or what have you, you know, so that we're not wasting those things? So whereas a whole meal together was maybe 10 bucks, and I'm just using random numbers because I don't have them in front of me, but, you know, maybe the entree is six, you know, whereas you normally had two sides, each side is two, right? So now if I don't want to have to pay for these extra green beans or these extra sides that I'm not going to consume anyway, you know, I've now provided a value. I can just get the entree, right? And reality is you got to A-B test them, right? You got to send them out there. See if they're working, see if the people like it, see if they don't, see how it's coming. And your customer base, you know, everybody's you know, going to be a little different, right? I mean, a lot of similarities, but, you know, what the expectation in one place versus another is going to be different. During the pandemic, there was a skyrocketing interest in entrepreneurship, right? And we saw small business starts increase, or at least applications incredibly rise, you know, like 50%, you know, versus the previous year. But, you know, to your point, I think a lot of those folks don't really understand how the world has kind of fundamentally changed, or at least the business landscape has changed, you know, like that focus around increased value, the rising costs, even to your point around the labor, you know, that now you might be kind of left with the warm body issue versus the skilled, interested labor. Force, right? You know, right. what really resonates with me is your first comment around a lot of this kind of mentality, right? Your ability to adapt and to quickly pivot, and you have a plan that you created, but you got to change it and you got to be comfortable with that change. I am wondering, you know, since we have had such an incredible rise in first time entrepreneurs, you know, how do you advise someone who is interested in taking that first step towards creating a business? Like, what is the honest conversation you have with them before they start trying to sell anything? Well, one thing they need is at least an idea. Okay. They come with an idea. And then what I tell them is the first question that I ask is, how much does this need to make in order for it to be successful? I mean, mentioned it earlier. Mm. Okay. So let's say they come up with that. It's, you know, I need to make $3,000 a month or what have you. Okay. Well, we have access to databases that tell us industry-wise roughly what the percentages of various things should be, right? And I would say, you know, it varies from probably 4% to probably 14%. Maybe there's some specific industries that are higher than that. But generally speaking, 10% is a good spot if you just want to spitball an idea of what you can expect to keep. So you can expect to keep and put in your pocket about a dime out of every dollar in revenue you can raise. Right. So we start with that. Okay. And I make it tailored to the industry, but let's just do that. Right. So if I want to make $3,000 a month, I need to generate $30,000 in revenue. Okay. So now whatever it is, say it's a, you know, coffee shop, right? So if it's a coffee shop and I need to do that, now we start taking a look and we just start kind of breaking it down. It's like, okay, so how much are you going to sell your coffee for? All right. And what do you think the average ticket's going to be? Okay. It's going to be, you know, six bucks. You know, we divide that 30,000 by six and we go, okay, does it seem like you can sell that many cups of coffee? Mm. Right. I mean, you break it to a unit. Does that seem feasible? 
well, you know, I don't know if I can sell 200 and something cups of coffee, whatever it is, right? And if so, then, you know, then we start building the whole plan off of that. Are these guys all going to line up like one right after another and neatly come into my shop mm-hmm. and get a coffee after one guy's done and the next guy will come in? No, they're all going to come at key points in time. And sometimes it's key yeah. months out of the year or days of the week. And a lot of times it's variables of all of that, right? So then we just sort of paint a picture of what that is. So we look at peak time. So what's our peak time? So Friday night, boy, that's when everybody comes to get coffee. So like restaurants is a great example. If you're not maxed out between 11 and 1 every day, mm. then you're in bad shape. If you don't have every table full and everybody's you know screaming like a banshee, you are probably having trouble because that's your window in most restaurants. Even dinner, I mean, if you're a lunch restaurant, you know, breakfast is a little more spread out, but lunch is very concise. Dinner's a little more spread out. Lunch is pretty concise. And most all, even if you're a breakfast place, you roll into lunch, dinner places a lot of times have lunch. So lunch is generally one of your highest capacity. You need to put the most amount of product out during that two hour window. And so how many employees do I need, right, Mm. for the coffee deal? How many Keurigs do I need to line up out here, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, how long does it take for that machine to make it, right? It might have been this wonderful machine some salesman sold me on, but is it going to be able to handle it? Or do I need 30 of them to make up the difference? You know, like one of the things I love to do is then take a look at that and we go through all this process with them and we plan it. And then I average that by that time window, right? And so I was like, Mm. listen, keep in mind, the numbers we're going through, you need to turn a customer during that whole period of time every 30 seconds. I'm not going to do that with one register, right? I'm not going to do that with one person working one register. How are we going to make this happen? How right. are we going to get that many wait staff? You know, and so how big a dishwasher do I need, right? Because I'm going to be going through all these cups. Where are they going to sit? I'm going to need them again. So how many cups do I need? I mean, you just start planning all of that stuff out. Sure. And how much labor do I need, right? And just intricately planning those things out. And as that evolves, a lot of people decide it's easier to just go back to, you know, teaching. You know, or whatever right. it is. Right. right. You know, but a lot of other ones go, no, dude, this is it. You know, and their plan changes to tweak it and, you know, and you end up with something else or whatever it might be. Or, you know, sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes they come in and the idea, you know, pretty much is able to roll out the way they envisioned it. And those are normally the people that have long term industry experience. I can almost guarantee you, if you don't have long-term industry experience and you're coming in, you want to open a restaurant or whatever it is, that by the time we go through this process, your idea is going to be considerably different than what you had in your mind that you were wanting it to do and be. And so, yeah. you know, in order for it to be functionally effective and make you the kind of money that, you know, you need to make. We can't just be maxed out at you making 3000 a month. We need to have capacity. Because if we're maxed right. out and that's all you can do, then, you know, it's 3000 now, but it might need to be 4000 in the future, right? So we need to have build in the ability for there to be capacity. And then what does all of this infrastructure cost? And how much money do you have? How much are we going to have to borrow? How much are we going to get from investors? You know, but it's just that whole process, just digging through that. That's how we start with how much money do you need to make? And then we end up with, you know, a plan at the end of that. Hopefully. Yeah. And I think you just showed like the power of what are the right questions to be asking, right? Yeah. Like what are the things you do be considering and thinking about, especially for a high risk type of business, like a restaurant, you know, which is notorious for being very difficult to manage, you know, yeah. and then imagine if you're trying to build a business around something even, you know, differently, like around defense contracts. Yeah. Tim, I know we only have just a few more minutes of your time left. You know, I was on your show yesterday. 
Yeah, this is some great questions, man. And so I have a question for you in the same kind of vein as yesterday. Books. What is yeah. the book that every small business owner should have on their shelf? And I see, you know, not everybody can see, but I see you have so books on there. Anything that Gruber does, E Myth, E Myth, Revisited, mm. E Myth for, you know, classic people in whatever. You know, that thing's been cut up. That, and now from a selling standpoint, I mean, it really kind of depends on your industry, right? And some sort of things have kind of evolved, right? So if I'm a restaurant, I don't know of a book for restaurants. But restaurantowner.com, you go there. It's all there. Hmm. Be a member. It's 20 bucks a month, whatever. I don't know. They've got any and all. They got spreadsheets. They got all this. So that's what you need for that. But from a, say, a business philosophy standpoint, it's an older book by Tim Ferriss. It was called The Four Hour Work Week. I think that from the systems, if you start with that one and then get into some of the e-myth type stuff, setting up systems, that's so critical in running a business and particularly being able to scale it. That's, you know, very critical. Everything I do is kind of custom, so it's kind of hard to say that everybody kind of needs different stuff. But, of course, those things, marketing, I've got a really old one that I love, 101 Ways to Promote Yourself by Riley Pinsky. I love that one. If you're doing a large ticket item and sales is a big approach, spin selling, S-P-I-N-N. Spin selling. And the handbook. You know, the book's good too, but you need the handbook. It's a separate little paperback. It's a little thinner, but it'll bring you through that deal. And if you have any kind of thing where you're making a sale, it's incredibly valuable. And then, yeah, it just kind of goes from there, but yeah. That's great. Thanks for sharing those resources. You know, I know, so the SBDC is the national program, you know, and probably the best way that people can access there is you go to sba.gov and then you can get connected to whatever the local center is yeah. closest to you. But definitely want to give you a chance. I know that you have a show. Definitely want to give you a yes. chance to talk about that and how people can connect with you and connect with the McLennan SBDC. Sure. So tell us all about how people can connect in with you. Okay. So yeah, probably for most people, if you're not in central Texas, the best way to interface with me would be through my YouTube channel, which is called Texas Business Podcast. The way that got started was during the pandemic, I was helping people apply for the idle loan, right? And it took me about, oh, I'd say 15 to 20 minutes, maybe, to bring somebody through the process online. And it was a pretty simple process, but, you know, you only got like one shot at it and you didn't want to screw it up. And there was some ambiguity in what some of the answers were. And not everybody knows what some business terms are. So there was a lot of apprehension. So I was getting a lot of calls. And so I was just spending all day going through everybody with that. And then one time I, was, I had just gotten back from lunch, I think, and gotten my calls that I missed and set them aside. And then I had started on one. I brought them through the process about 15, 20 minutes. And then the admin comes around and says, here you go. You missed 36 calls while you were on there. Right. And I was like, that's not feasible. I cannot do this. And these people still need help. So how am I going to do that? And so that's when I had the idea of just throwing it up on the YouTube channel. Right. So I just put it on there and I screen, you know, watch me doing. I went through and I just filled one out, you know, and I did all the way down to the end where it's in, and I held off right there about submitting it. But, you know, so they could see it. And I talked about it as it went through. And that's, you know, hopefully been very beneficial for people. I mean, it's had about 40,000 people look at it. So I'm sure it helped a couple of them anyway. What's the name again of the podcast? Texas Business Podcast, and it's on YouTube. So just look that up. And yeah, that'd be great. That's the best way to interface with me. I answer all the comments and, you know, that sort of thing. So Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for coming on Hack My Business and sharing your thoughts. Always great to connect with the SBDC world and with you. Wish you all the best. Wish all your businesses there in Central Texas the best. But thanks for coming on the show. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, sir. If you need help and want to be a part of our community 
and find resources to grow your business, join us at our website at smallbusinessfront.com. We'd love to see you there. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time on Hack My Business.